Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Day's here alongside my two amigos, Tatterson and Aaron McIntyre. A no demon-free day show, I was, just, show, gonna, I was just about to say, no satanic attack so far today. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me rephrase. Just the typical satanic attacks. Yeah. For example, if you are on our Facebook page and you're trying to enter the contest we announced yesterday, where the most impressive or creative way that you help us promote uh, the new book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial, so this never happens again. And by the way, last night when I went to bed, I finally th- had things slow down enough that I could look to see how the book was performing on release day. Top three nonfiction hardcover political books in the country, and they're all uh, rated pretty closely. All right. Former Secretary of State, CIA Director Mike Pompeo, his memoir. Greta Thunberg's new book on the, uh, on, on, on the climate cult and Rise of the Fourth Reich. That's just a pretty interesting collection of tomes, don't you think? So Mike Pompeo's memoirs of the Trump administration and, of course, him announcing himself as a presidential candidate for 24. And uh, Greta Thunberg and Steve, then there's Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz. Those are the top three. And there's like nobody else. It's like not even close. I mean, it's just those three. So, I mean, that's just a weird, it, it felt weird for me to be in that group. You I think know, the Dace Thunberg steel cage match is exactly <laughs> what America needs and wants right now. I guarantee you, I have said um, in the last five minutes, more critical things of China than Greta Thunberg ever has, even though they're the worst polluter in the world by far with no close second. And I didn't say anything negative about China. And that's already more negative things that I've said about uh, th- th- about China than Greta Thunberg ever has. So uh, anyway, um, for those of you that are trying to enter into the contest via Facebook with the uh, most creative, impressive way to help us promote Rise of the Fourth Reich with hashtag Nuremberg 2, I got so many messages from people that uh, Facebook, Facebook is trying to squash that hashtag so that it never gets going. So what we are going to do is I'm going to call an audible here at the line of scrimmage. We're going to open it up now. Um, if you want to enter the contest on Instagram, TikTok, now the censorship on those places is dreadful, okay? But maybe if we hit them all at once, one of the swimmies will get through. This. For the honor of going to the movie, like you're asking them to wander into no man's land. Like, how many, how many bullets are you willing to dodge to have this happen? Y'all just may need to get on Twitter, which may be the last major platform of free speech literally left on this planet. Uh, you may just all need to do it via Twitter because the hashtag is cooking with gas on Twitter right now. But uh, on Facebook, they have been trying to stifle it since we launched it yesterday. We'll keep it up there anyway. Maybe you can get yours through to be seen. But we're going to expand it to Instagram and TikTok, and it's at Steve Day Show on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, if you want to, if you want to tag us there, or just uh, use hashtag Nuremberg Two and don't have to tag us. Hashtag Nuremberg Two. Hashtag Nuremberg Two. So TikTok, Instagram. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, hashtag Nuremberg2, the number two. And if uh, Anastasia is going to pick the five finalists, and then Daniel and I uh, on uh, Friday or sometime this weekend will pick the winner. And that winner will be joining me, courtesy of Post Hill Press. You'll be joining me as my guest at the uh, premiere of Nefarious, which I don't know uh, when 
or where yet. I, I kind of know, but I'm not entirely sure to the point that I can say it yet. So I'm hoping, in fact, I might even find out today. All right. But uh, the movie, of course, releases nationwide on, um, on April the 14th. I mean, the amount of emails I received yesterday at the, uh, the preview of the trailer that we gave you guys exclusively here on the show, I mean, in the, in the hundreds. I mean, they were absolutely overwhelming. Um, the amount of emails and the positivity I got. I don't know what you've seen just from cursory glances. I mean, we've been pretty effusive in our praise of this movie. I think from what I've seen, I don't know what you've seen. You've seen probably a lot more than I. Uh, I think the trailer you know, blew people's expectations out of the water. I mean, it exceeded yes. them. Yeah, if, if, if even was, coming in with with the effusive praise that we've given it, no question. And I mean, if I if I could take, I would say. 80% of the hundreds of emails I received uh, from y- since yesterday when we unveiled it. Uh, and you can get the trailer right now at whoisnefarious.com. And there's a lot of other goodies on that website. And we'll be adding more, some really cool stuff here coming up in March. This is kind of just the soft opening of our marketing push. It'll really kick into gear here when we get 40 days uh, into release on uh, April the 14th nationwide. But uh, the downloadable poster is now available. You can now download the poster uh, if you want it for wallpaper to share it, uh, thumbnails, avatars. Uh, The poster is downloadable with the credits, actually. I don't even have that yet for me, okay? So the poster with the credit scroll that includes uh, yours truly as executive producer, uh, that is available for download at whoisnefarious.com as well as some other goodies and, um, uh, and the trailer as well. Overwhelmingly, 80, I'd say, I'd say well over 75, maybe approaching 80% of the notes I got were, I thought you guys were exaggerating. That, ex- that, that, I mean, I was getting to the point where I was kind of, come on, really? I'm rolling my eyes. I, there, I, where was the Christian cheese? Where was the cringe? I mean, I was, that blew me away. I mean, in terms of its production value, in terms of the tone and the temperament, um, I mean, it was not what I expected it to be at all. And, and it, to be honest, though, it still isn't. No. That's what's so great. You have only been given, folks. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my wife's reaction to this when we went over to your house, when she she just said, like, I wanted, there's so many times I had to not talk mm-hmm. because I wanted to ask questions. I mean, there's you're going to be in the middle of this thing, and you're like, okay, I know we're only 20 minutes in, but can we small group now because yeah. I need to talk about this. Yeah. And it does that over yeah. and over and over again. I mean, I, I am going to screen it for some other people uh, tomorrow night at my house. Uh, and it'll be maybe I'm coming up on 20 times now seeing this movie. I don't ever get sick of it, um, especially seeing people's reactions to it for the first time because they're like, one of, one of the most common reactions that I get is, I, I want to watch it again right now. I know I missed some things. That I, there, there, there is the stuff of small group study guides that maybe we need to have a conversation about here in the future uh, uh, in this film. Uh, and, and because nefarious is going to take you to church. Nefarious, you know, sometimes people will accept the truth from the most unlikeliest of sources, right? So it, it, the film, absolutely, even though it's a different story from the, from the book and nefarious plot, the nefarious and his, and the scheme of using him as a character to, to reach people who are plunging into the darkness with a confrontation of forcing them what the darkness really is they're plunging into, forcing them to truly look at it, right? That scheme that I used in the book and that Lewis uses so well in the Screwtape Letters um, is captured in this film. 
captured in this film. So uh, again, you go to whoisnefarious.com. And I just got, I could, I tried to respond to as many notes as I could yesterday and it just got, it just got overwhelming. I I couldn't, and that's a good overwhelming. And so collectively, let me say thank you uh, to everybody. And uh, some of the people in our movement and industry, I saw Jack Posobiec uh, shared the the trailer yesterday, Uh, Billy Hallowell over at uh, uh, Pure Flix and CBN shared the trailer yesterday. And I know I'm missing some Megan Basham at Daily Wire. Who then, then she tweeted out, there's only two movies, and she used to do movie reviews for World Magazine. So, I mean, she's like a Rotten Tomatoes official graded movie reviewer. And she's like, the only two movies that have ever made me cry, okay? Les Mis and Steve Dace's Demon movie. <laughs> All right. So, um, I mean, just, a, I, I know I'm, I'm missing some others. Uh, David Limbaugh, who, of course, endorsed the original book, tweeted out the trailer yesterday, too. So, uh, hat tip to all of you, and, uh, and thank you for all of that. And um, as, as we get to the calendar clicks to March, you'll be seeing and hearing much more about nefarious in theaters across the country and elsewhere. So, all right, let's get to today's program. Uh, and what's going on? Uh, we'll get to buy, sell, or hold beginning at the bottom of the hour, one of our more popular segments each week, as is the weekly Prophet of Woe and Lamentation. Daniel Horowitz will join us in the final segment of the program. But before we begin with all of those zany hijinks, let us start as we always do with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by more questions than answers again. Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin has been out and about in public recently, even making an appearance at the big game last Sunday. By my count, he sat down for the first time for an interview since nearly dying in a Monday night football game a little over a month ago. Good Morning America host Michael Strahan asked Hamlin a very simple question. After Hamlin was discharged from the ICU, the question on so many minds, what caused his heart to stop beating? You're 24, peak physical condition, could run circles around me right now. <laughs> <laughs> How did doctor describe what happened to you? Um, um, that's something I want to stay away from. So DeMar Hamlin doesn't want to talk about what the doctors think caused his medical episode, which left him on the cusp of losing his life multiple times on the football field that Monday night. Got it. Speaking of head scratchers, this exchange was caught on a hot mic between World Series of Poker contestant Aaron Duzek and another player. I wish I would have never got the vaccine. I mean, What's that? I wish I never would have got the vaccine. I never did. I've uh, been having chest pain ever since I had that thing. Really? Yeah. Still, you're still having it? Yeah, every time to time. Oh, and they're saying that you get uh, hard arteries. And yeah, 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 yeah. So I need to go get it checked out. Oh, but, I mean, but ever since, dude, it's just. That's horrible. Been weird. I held out. I held out until like a month ago, not even a month ago. Oh, is that right? Why did you decide to get it then? Also? I wanted to come play the World Series. Oh, they didn't have that guideline this right now. Pardon me? They didn't yeah, have that. As a foreigner, you can't get into uh, US. Moving on at the White House, here's Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre on Joe Biden. I will tell you this, the president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. And here's Joe Biden just yesterday. Bridge over the, uh, over the, over the Holly River. Look, and, and Warsaw or excuse me, Washoe County in Nevada. We're spending $89 billion to add several lanes. Anyway, at that same event, he seemed to reiterate a puzzling line he had dropped during the State of the Union address regarding oil. And they're not investing in refineries, repairing them or maintaining them. 
Now, they're saying, and that's a legitimate argument they make, they say, Biden, you want to go all, uh, you want to go green, and in 10 years we won't need this. Well, guess what? We're going to need oil for a long time and gas for a long time. It's not going to go all go away. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby was in the middle of giving an update on the status of these spy balloons or UFOs or whatever the heck they were shooting down last week when he provided this really, really odd flex. But we were able to determine that China has a high altitude balloon program for intelligence collection that's connected to the People's Liberation Army. It was operating during the previous administration, but they did not detect it. We detected it. Now, this, of course, begs an obvious question. How did we know there were spy balloons during the Trump administration if they weren't detected during the Trump administration? Nikki Haley has become the second candidate to throw their name into the ring for the GOP presidential nomination for 2024. Former South Carolina governor turned U.S. ambassador to the United Nations made her announcement via this video yesterday. The railroad tracks divided the town by race. I was the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. Not black, not white. I was different. But my mom would always say... Okay, we're already bored. And finally, the final, final first trailer for Nefarious. Evil isn't a clinical diagnosis. I'd like to ask about why you brought me here today. Do you believe in demonic possession? No. Well, you won't believe anything I'm about to tell you. Then give me something to make me believe you. Okay. Let me inhabit you. He got in your head, didn't he? He claims he's a demon. He's a master manipulator. By the time he's done with you, you have your head so twisted around you think you're the killer. Before you leave here today, you will have committed three murders. Why would I do that? What, what, what are you doing? My name is Nefariamus. Names are important. They have power. They let everyone know who we are. And that's what happened while we were away. I got texts, or I'm sorry, uh, emails and tweets from people who are like, I've watched this thing like 10 times. I've watched it like, one guy emailed me, I literally have watched this thing like 20 times. It's pretty cool. That's more than pretty cool. I, it, man, I got to tell you, for the longest time it felt like we were never going to get here. This is where the fun begins. Aaron's Montage is brought to you by our friends over at Eden Pure. You can purify the air in your home and get healthy, clean, fresh-smelling air that eliminates odors, kills mold and mildew, bacteria, even some viruses, and more with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier that doesn't require filters. It has a filterless technology, which means you won't be spending out of pocket to replace filters for years after you purchase the units, and then the, the, the time and the trouble of making those replacements won't have to do it. Uh, and you can get them in packs of three for whole home protection or maybe you've got 
a couple places in your home you want to go and one in the office. Um, get all three units, the three pack for under 200 bucks. That's a fraction of the cost compared to other air purifiers in the same space that probably don't work as well. They often go for well over 600 bucks. All right. So the pack of three and free shipping, the pack of three and free shipping. Uh, when you go to EdenPureDeals.com slash Steve, EdenPureDeals.com slash Steve, and you need to use the discount code Steve3 to get the three units for under 200 bucks and free shipping. All right, at EdenPureDeals.com, discount code Steve3. All right, let's get to what is inside of Aaron's montage. And let's, let's talk briefly about Nikki Haley's insertion into the presidential race. That's what I got. Your thoughts? Well, you know I'm a... That's cons- my analysis. I'm considerably she's, she's le- running. Which is less cynical about this than you, only because she is somebody on this show who we recognize as one of the best hires Trump ultimately ended up making i mean she's she's not in a hack she's not utterly illegitimate it's not to say i'm rooting for her i'm genuinely interested how and i said this a couple weeks ago she worked for the guy and desantis is like what's what does she think her lane is how does she try to pull it off she managed to tiptoe between the raindrops while working for trump so I'm I just as a political guy who's interested in how this plays out. I'm genuinely interested. This the, you two are clearly bored to tears or don't care or what something else. Mm-hmm. I, I'm genuinely interested in what her how she tries to approach this. Okay, Aaron, what say you? I, I don't know. As you can probably see, the noose on set is not actually a real noose. She is a noose expert, though, so maybe we can have her consult. Yeah. Since she left the White House, has she not been wrong on a virtue signal? Or has she been wrong on every virtue signal since? Yeah. Like literally, Floyd, uh, the NASCAR garage news. I mean, everything you could imagine, she has been wrong. Like on since she left the White House, she has been on the wrong side of the virtue signal on, on virtually everything ever since. You keep saying a word inter- that's important here because others have as well. She. It's. Yeah, and she just said this morning, I mean, she's going to lean into that. Yeah. Uh, she just said this morning. Is she going full them- vagina already? Since, no! I'm, since I'm not working for the cruise campaign, <laughs> I'll just say it whenever I want now. All right, since I'm See, not working for a campaign this I was time, say Fox that, News I can't use it to trash did. the candidate all day long like they did a few years ago. So she's going full vagina yeah, right out just, of the gate, basically. Just this morning, she was like, may the best woman win. I think it would be fun to, and we probably don't have time to do it right now, game theory out what, um, you know, a third candidate between Trump, probably DeSantis, what their path could be. That would be an interesting thought experiment sometime, but I, I don't really see one for Haley or Anal- anybody. Analyzing the situation, though, if, if if I'm Ron DeSantis, I want all of these people that worked in the Trump administration to run. I know that the, the thought out there is that they're going to split the vote. No, they're not. DeSantis and Trump are so far ahead of everybody else. DeSantis is months from being a candidate. And he is in a polling tier all by himself, as is Trump. All right. So his numbers... You know, he's, he's, he has a much higher ceiling because he's not even a candidate yet. He's not even nationally engaging on a daily basis, the fracas, the debate yet. He's governing Florida, at least until the legislative session is over, I'm told. So if I'm DeSantis, actually, I, I want to avoid 
I, I want to, I, I don't want to, I don't want to duck it, but I want to avoid it. Those are two different things. I don't want to duck a mano y mano, you know, childish confrontation that Trump will try to provoke, but, but, you know, cause I want to look like I'm hiding and gutless, but I want to avoid it either. Like, I don't want that to be the whole campaign that that's, that would, the more that that is the centrality of the campaign that plays into Trump's uh, that's that's him framing the debate. It, it would not be about substantive issues. It would be about personalities and name calling. All right. If I'm DeSantis, I, I love the idea of former Trump administration officials like Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo running. I love it because let them nip at his heels mm-hmm. sure. and let him clack back on them. I'll be over here on the other side of the debate stage and I'm just going to be talking directly to you. Yeah. The longer I can go without having to. Um, he called you a. Um, uh, a, a fuzzy navel uh, a nerf herder. Uh, your thoughts, Ron? Okay. The longer, I mean, I, I, th- that I can, the, the more often I can not be distracted by that level of inanity and just actually get to talk about the agenda that I've done in Florida and actually having people that used to work for Trump now running against him helps me to do that. So the more I get to just have, and, and w- here's when Nikki Haley, how Nikki Haley becomes a serious candidate. If for whatever reason, Trump or DeSantis cannot run or have to drop out. All right. And, and that's not crazy to think. Trump's pushing 80. Ron, Ron's wife just battled breast cancer last year. Right. So it's not like, you know, if you found out in three months that Ron DeSantis can't run because heaven forbid Casey's cancer came back, that's that's not like some kind of groundbreaking story. Tons of American families face that every day. Right. Mm-hmm. You find out in three months that, you know, Donald Trump's got to go. He's 80 and, you know, um, the body betrayed him. I mean, American people. Families face those things every day. Those aren't crazy circumstances, right. are they? And so if one of those two things were to happen, then I think um, Haley becomes a serious candidate because you get more into the traditional Republican paradigm of the the the, the one that the base likes versus the one the establishment likes. But that's finally the word I, you brought up that it, and I think both of them can be in. The establishment, if they decide to just get behind her and have a clear narrative and again they just put the thumb on the scale the establishment crushed the red wave it's this is a this is not the same election of course as you remind people uh, uh regularly once we talk into about off uh, pre- uh you know presidential elections versus uh, midterms but i still think the, the what the decide the establishment decides to do and when with a particular candidate, it may not be a path to a win, but let's face it, mm-hmm. a win for them might be a, a Biden second term and Absolutely. how they use yeah. and how a candidate may or may not be willing to use to make that happen. Or, or, or which one of those two guys is willing to bargain with us to put her on the ticket? See, okay, that these See. two guys, these two guys, it's so nip and tuck, it's so close, okay, and so razor thin. They need every help they can get. Which of these two guys is willing to cut the deal? All right, we'll get behind you, but she gets on the ticket, okay, particularly for Trump as a guy who's forced into just one term because of term limits and his age on top of that. All right, but you see, that yeah. I, that's a bargaining chip for them, maybe down the road as well. Yeah, but but she has to be some level of credible, okay. I mean, she, you know, my buddy Rick Shafton came out with a South Carolina poll today that has her like a distant third as a former governor and has Tim Scott like at 2%. 
as a senator from the state. Okay, I mean, if 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 she finishes with like 15, 16 percent of the vote in the South Carolina primary, like what Rick is forecasting, then that bargaining chip isn't there. She's unnecessary. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So so on, so she's got some time here to show that she can make some kind of a legitimate inroad on right. her own. Okay, let's get to the other big thing that's in the montage, in my opinion. That's what happened with Demar Hamlin and. I asked the question on Twitter this morning um, in association with that video clip. What, what would be the benign, innocent explanation for why he would not want to talk about this? A couple of things that were replied back to me most often. One I think is legitimate. The other I think is, I wouldn't call it illegitimate. I just would call it ignorant of the process of how the NFL operates. Let's get to that one first, okay? The idea that he doesn't want to, he wants to be very quiet about revealing anything because the NFL hasn't decided whether he can uh, be cleared uh, to play again or not. Folks, this is why it was so shocking to watch on top of his age. This is why it was so shocking to watch DeMar Hamlin's collapse on Monday Night Football a month and a half ago. There may not be, other than various militaries around the world, there may not be a subculture of human beings who are more thoroughly medically examined than professional football players. We're going to have an event here in about, what, 10 days called the NFL Combine. Now, you all know it is the place where they go out there, the Underwear Olympics, right? Yeah. That's what most people watch. They run their 40s. They do the cone drills, right? Okay. Do you guys know what goes on there? What goes on there like the first two or three days they're there? The physicals. The physicals, the medicals, all right, the psychiatric evaluations, the IQ test via the Wonderlick. okay? I mean, the, the, the level of poking and prodding that is done into these players. I'll give you an example. At Michigan, we had a phenomenal defensive lineman a few years ago named Maurice Hurst, completely unblockable for the last two years of his college career. He gets drafted like on the third day by the Raiders. I don't even know if he's still in the NFL. Why? Because now, you know, Michigan has a fairly renowned medical school, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, and is this some kind of podunk juco? No, I mean, this is uh, one of the most, you know, um, uh, lucrative athletic departments in collegiate sports. Well, it, he had a heart murmur condition that was discovered on one of his physicals, the NFL, man. All right, they're probing at a different level. And now teams are like, do we draft this guy high? He's, he's a first-round grade as a player, but he's a time bomb. At any point in time, you know, that heart could say, hey, you're done, you're, and you can't play anymore, right? And so he drops mm-hmm. to the third day. Nothing escapes these guys. If anything, they're so thorough, it, it's more often stuff gets made up, like marijuana use and stuff like that, that guys drop for things that you find out later, weren't true or were exaggerated. I mean, they've got (laughs) private eyes that investigate these players. Okay. How do you think we found out that that Oklahoma state wide receiver from 10 years ago's mom was a prostitute? The NFL found out guys. So the idea that he's going to conceal some medical condition uh, from the NFL, and that's why he's keeping his mouth shut. That's just, uh, no, that's not possible. That's that's one of the points we made the day after his collapse, how tightly these guys are screened. If there was any pre-existing condition there, okay, it would have been known. And they would have told us right away. If they could have told us, well, you know, he had a heart murmur, he had an irregular heartbeat, and that came up at the combine, but he, he checked out that he was okay to play, and then it turns out, bam-o, it did. It, we would have been told that, like, the very next day, let alone a month and a half later. No, that's not why. The other reason that I was given as benign or innocent, I guess, if you want to use it in those terms, that I too think could be plausible, 
is that he is planning a massive lawsuit and is being quiet to that end. It's been told to be quiet about causes and things of that nature. Who will get sued? Do you sue the NFL? Do you sue um, the the medical system that imposed this on you? That I could see. I, I could see him, if you can't play again, um, looking at launching a massive lawsuit uh, looking for damages to what happened to him. I could see that being a reason that he's not talking. Okay. But the era in which we live, and I hate this man, I hate it. A part of me just has become so jaded by all of this. I'm like, so when does uh, DeMar Hamlin get, uh, you know, when, when does he start to be, when does he start promoting the sixth round of boosters for Pfizer? Cause the check cleared, you know what I'm saying? There it is. Yeah. So I hate that. You know, I hate that my mind even goes to those places these days, but I could see that he's not saying anything because he's planning a lawsuit. But the other reason, no, you can't possibly conceal medical conditions from the National Football League. It ain't possible. Well, the notion, the notion of the lawsuit, we have a super litigious society for any number of reasons. But when you realize that Pfizer would be more than happy to make all that go away and cut the check, I'm going with that. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to lean that way for now. I had not even considered that he was keeping quiet uh, because he's actually looking to sue. I mean, you're talking about suing the NFL? Yes, please. Suing the medical system? Yes, please. Suing the manufacturer somehow, even though you're technically not allowed to do that with uh, emergency use authorization? Yes, please. Yes, I'm, I'm good with that. I just can't foresee. There's too much at stake for the NFL as well look at all the other uh people who could get, jump on that mm-hmm. i just can't. virtually every player could yes i'm, I just a, can't I'm a time see, bomb i can't see that happening all right we'll come back we'll play buy seller hold next when we do stay tuned You guys have heard me for the last few years on the show now talk about the uh, amazing extreme altitude wines from our friends over at Bonner Private Wines before these are wines coming from grapes. Malbec grapes grow deep in the Andes Mountains at about 9,000 feet of altitude with families that are going on now a second century of doing this the old fashioned, not factory way. And now they have upped the offer. It's still an amazing offer. It's even more amazing than it was before. Uh, you'll now not just get the three bottles of wine uh, with 50% off both the wine and the shipping. And hey, when we're talking about imported wines, that shipping discount comes in quite handy. Uh, but to, now they've added a bonus bottle of small batch limited production wine from their exclusive wine cellar as well. So now it's four bottles for the price of three and 50% off the wine and 50% off the shipping. You can't beat it. Just go to bonnerprivatewines.com slash Steve. That's Bonner, B-O-N-N-E-R, bonnerprivatewines.com slash Steve. Let us embark upon buy, sell, or hold. This is where Aaron each week at this time, with a lot of help from y'all, comes up with uh, lists, predictions, prophecies that uh, will be thrown at you and I's way, Todd. No topic is off limits. You and I will decide, are we going to buy it? Are we going to sell it? Right? If, however, at any point in time, at any point in time, you use your hold 
for any reason, then you have violated said dude code, you have punked out, and you're going to have to join Pete Buttigieg on his next maternity leave. Mm. Just you and Mayor Pete hanging out. I hate the fact that you've so pummeled me over the years with Lindsey Graham stuff. I feel like there's like a refreshing change at hand somehow. Dear God, the psychological warfare is relentless on this show. All is PSYOP. All is PSYOP. Even this show now. Yes. All right, Aaron, let's get to it. We will begin with a top 10 list from Tiny Johnny. Top 10 rejected. He gets us commercial scripts in no particular order, except there uh, there is an order here. Number 10. Your wife cooked a bad dinner. You flipped the table in anger. Hey, we know someone else who does that. <laughs> Hashtag he gets us. <laughs> this is a- Number nine. We're starting with that? Yeah. Okay. Buying or selling or holding, holding number 10. Uh, I got to well, buy that. Why? Yeah, I got to buy that. Number nine. You are a god among men, but nobody else sees it. People are dumb. He gets you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is, oh boy. Number eight. So you're a persecuted transgender individual. Well, we know someone that was transfigured. (laughs) Sure, there are different words, but both contain trans, so close enough. Hashtag he gets us. That might be my favorite one yet. It's not as funny or biting as the other two, but just in terms of the the commentary within that commentary, the, the attempt to find some way to show the spirit of the age hey, we are like you. I saw a tweet this morning I didn't get a, I, I didn't get a chance to retweet about uh, Russell Moore. Man, I haven't heard that name in forever. Okay, like he is the, uh, the, he's like the OG David French. Like before David French, there was Russell Moore. Okay, and I don't, I don't know who this, this woman is. Uh, that he's, he is doing everything he can to say, I'm not like the Steve Daces and Totters, and so I'm not like them. I'm one of the good people. And just throws all forms of orthodoxy under the bus to try to appeal to this woman. Her response is to turn around and say, oh, but you're still against uh, women in the pulpit, and uh, you know, um, you're a racist, uh, homophobic, uh, misogynistic mm-hmm. bigot. That they're, they're, her response was to not take kindly to him attempt to meeting her more than halfway Mm -hmm. like almost the entire way like that see the reason that Moore can't give in on women in the pulpit because that's such an obvious one to a southern baptist that whatever shard of credibility he has left would the cover would get blown you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so that's one where you have to hold on to that okay so that it, it you know then it's not completely known which side of the street you're working for and and he does that man he gives in on everything and this heretical chick that he's trying to reach out to is like, and the horse you rode in on. I mean, that is, it, it, it reminds me of, I think it's your favorite, one of your favorite, Christopher Hitchens, the late uh, atheist. Oh, yeah. uh, one of his, uh, uh, your favorite anecdotes from him, where he had done a series of debates um, in person and in the pages of Christianity Today, when it was still actually talking about Christianity, with um, Douglas Wilson, the pastor in Moscow, Idaho, that mm-hmm. I like a lot. And uh, uh, about the merits and integrity of Christianity versus atheism. And in response to one of these debates, woman either watched it or read the articles in the Des Moines Register, and or I'm sorry, in the Freudian slip, Christianity Today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, 
woman, a woman sends him a note identifying herself as a progressive Christian. And I'm not, you know, like one of these fundies like Douglas Wilson. And, and, you know, I, I think you bring up a lot of good points of merit that we should consider in the church and broadening our perspectives and our horizons. And Christopher Hitchens wrote this woman back in writing. Yeah. And here was his response to her. He said, Madam, thank you for your kind note. I must say, however, if you don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, you may be a lot of things. Many of them may even be things I find laudable and agree with. But one thing you are not is a Christian. I know. And that's what that last entry of that parody list is doing. Okay. We are, we are, we, I mean, we are so eager in identifying with you that we lose, we lose out on identifying with the one who gave us our identity in the, in the first place. Do you remember that atheist who we read his letter a while, a long time ago, and he was just lamenting, like, he was like channeling the Joker, like, this town needs a better class of Christian, and I'd like to give it to you. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Because we just, we don't show up. All right, pardon Tiny Johnny, pardon us. You inspired a conversation, yes. a digression. We'll get back to you. Go ahead. You know, it's uh, it's a great list. You can go uh, check it out in the replies for yourself. Uh, let's just do one more. Uh, number one, inflation is so bad, you can't afford food. You may never eat again, but he knows all about Last Supper's. Hashtag he gets us. You can check out the rest of that list. Okay, you got to read number two. You got to read number two. Uh, you crash landed your UFO. You're an alien from out of this world, and it shows he knows all about that. He gets Vulcan. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Peter Hargraves is next. Christmas and Easter candy is better than Valentine's Day candy. Oh, completely buy. Valentine's Day candy is just good old, just old time, just regular old chocolate. Christmas and Easter, particularly Christmas, when the the seasonal flavors come out, absolutely vastly superior. And Easter is what gives us the greatest candies ever made. Cadbury mini eggs. So yes buy this is one of the easiest buys in the history of this segment i'm a grown man who likes vinegar <laughs> uh, that's a better answer i know you were contemplating selling and then you were like can i survive at this job if i sell on this i could see you doing the math in your head and then you just went for the cop out and i respect that so well done <laughs> yes dennis mccullough is next mount rushmore of truly historical events on april 14th Number four, the Soviet Union withdraws from Afghanistan in 1988. That really happened on April 14th, 1988, huh? I guess. I saw number three. Yeah, okay. I, I did as well. Okay. The Titanic hits the iceberg in 1912. Wow. Abra- That's, is that a metaphor for the film, maybe? Well, wait till okay. number two. Are you looking at this? Number two, Abraham Lincoln is shot in the Ford Theater in 1865. Oh, you know, how's, April th- how's a Wednesday release looking on April 12th, maybe? Number one, Nefarious is released in 2023, leading to worldwide revival. I don't know, man. Looking at that trend line, I, I think my company might be looking at Chapter 11. Okay, looking at that, uh, hey, the most the most famous assassination in American history, or infamous, the most famous um, uh, sinking, um, maybe in all of human history, of the Titanic. I don't know, man. I don't. Listen. That ain't a good trend line. I'm reevaluating my uh, our. Uh... By the way, we chose that release date. I didn't tell you guys this yesterday. You know why we chose April 14th? Um, 
well, we wanted to get the movie out before Guardians comes out in May with the summer movie season because there's so much competition for screens. It's basically, you know, survival of the fittest at that point. You know, but we had, um, how do I put this? We had, um, we had an entity that is very involved in the distributing and placing of movies urge us to, 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 to choose April 14th because in their minds there is a, there's a horror, there's another horror movie coming out that weekend, but it's not tracking at all. It's Nicholas Cage and Renfield and there's no interest and it looks terrible. So they were like, we'll give, so they're like, we think you'll get even more theaters if you choose April 14th and go up against that movie. And so we were like, okay, that's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. But now, now I'm beginning to think I got, we got entrapped here because April 14th does not look like a good day. Does not look like a day that good things occur. I like these lists are, this is the second list. It's already demanding a deeper discussion because I actually just like how it ends. Like I, that's the bar. That actually is the bar, encouraging revival. It, That's why we made the movie. Yeah. That's why, we're, we, folks, I can't tell you, we're taking a massive risk by going into the theaters. Massive. We're, we're, we're an independent film. We're not backed by a major studio. We, we scraped every penny together to make this movie and market it and everything on our own so we wouldn't have to compromise or water down the message at all. The theaters take at least 45% of everything you make in the, right off the top before you even see it. Or I'm sorry, take at least 50% of everything off the top before you even see it, okay? So we're taking a massive, massive gamble going into the theaters that we won't take a bath. But the reason we're doing it is, and you can tell by the way we're marketing the film, we are not marketing the film to people like you in the traditional way that you are used to being marketed to with happy, cringy, first of all, it's not that movie anyway. It's also not quite as dark as maybe the trailer is portraying, but um, the, we, we made the movie for them. We're trying to reach them. Um, and then and, and we need you to take them to it for us, to reach them. Next, we go to Jake, allegedly, who has a two-part buy-seller hold, and I thought this was interesting. Part one, the concept of the nuclear family is an aberration. We're meant to live in larger extended family groups. I think it's Sorab Omari who is a proponent of, of this idea. Um, I, at least I've seen him talk about this in the past. Well, since Sorab is talking about it, I can see from his point of view, uh, I would buy. We, uh, in, in our comfort and our desire not to be bothered, we, we are shipping off you know, grandma and grandpa to the assisted living place. And we just have all kinds of options like that. But I I agree. I grew up, my grandma lived with us from the time my younger brother, who's three years younger than me, was born. And she didn't move out um, until I was almost in college, I think. And uh, that was, it was wonderful. It was was a gift. So I I absolutely do think, if it's so rough talking, it's normative. I, I, I can see a way this gets sideways, though, if it's somebody else talking about it. But I'll, I'll, I'll tentatively buy. Well, originally we have Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, then Seth. So we have a nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Okay. The world is rebooted after Noah's flood. 
and Noah's sons go off um, and settle the with their own families. Mm-hmm. So the idea that there is no there's a, a, no biblical basis at all for the idea of the nuclear family. I don't agree with that. Nor do I. Um, I am sympathetic to using to making this argument in terms of um, the idea that we don't stay interconnected as a family once the children are grown that are elderly um, and, and hey sometimes they have issues and care we just went through this with my father-in-law for the last year you know, he had to have in-home hospice before mm-hmm. he passed away you know and, and and those things aren't cheap obviously you know they also had life expectancies in the 30s, 40s, or 50s in a lot of these societies that didn't live this way. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, if, the, they, if they didn't have the, the health care to prolong life. If somebody was elderly and fell down and broke their hip, that might be it. They mm-hmm. might call it curtains. They can't, fend, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, so I, I am simple. So I think if we're making this a very specific application, I think it's over the top. If we're making, though, um, a larger statement about the devaluing of the family after a certain stage of life mm-hmm. or for certain family members that are in a certain stage of life, then I would agree with it. So, um, so I'll sell because I think this is presented too comprehensively, even though I am sympathetic to it situationally. Part two. Conceptualizing the nuclear family was one of the early steps taken to break the family. I don't agree with that either. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sell on that. I I I I think the what was conceptualized was the idea of finding your your identity your purpose, unconditional love, um, finding those things outside of family, I think is what was conceptualized. Yeah, I, I do have to sell on this one. This, this is, you're saying this, the whole, the thing was a Trojan horse all along uh, for something. I don't, I don't believe that. When Howitzer's Fly is next, who has a picture of a headline, I think from uh, Pulpit and Pen, saying, uh, straight men must date trans women to combat hate, says activists. When Howitzer Flies says, uh, the logical conclusion of the Rainbow Jihad movement was always sexual assault. by Seller Hold. Part of it, bye. Part of that's true. Yeah. A, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think that they intended that, but, but when you remove these restraints, it was always going to end here. Right. I mean, I haven't talked about this in a while, but when we were our state was, you know, ground zero for the marriage debate for many years because of the court rulings here. And I used to bring activists on from the other side on my show locally and I'd hear their arguments and I would look at them and say, what you're really arguing is that gender doesn't exist. You're really saying there's no such thing as male and female and therefore there aren't natural urges and connectivity and certain uh, pieces of plumbing that fit together between the two. There's no complementarianism at all. You're really saying gender doesn't exist. And they, of course, were vehemently that that was not true. And yet, what are Mm -hmm. we arguing here now in 2023? That exact same argument. Okay. I do believe that that was the intention all along. I do that. I do believe that. Um, But I don't believe that this was an intentional argument. It's just an effectual one. 
So I'll buy. I bought. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll come back. And when we do, it'll be more buy, sell, or hold. And Daniel Horowitz will join us. Stay tuned. back here with hour two live and on demand on blaze tv radio and podcast steve dace here with aaron mcintyre totters and all of you and all of you can let us know hopefully not all at once what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox email the show steve at stevedace.com that's d-e-a-c-e like us on facebook me we gab and um what else oh follow me at steve dace show on twitter getter instagram and tiktok and then you can find me on uh, Truth Social, at Real Steve Dace there on Truth Social as well. Those of you that listen each day via the podcast, thank you so very much for doing that. Uh, please, if you wouldn't mind showing your appreciation for the show in one additional way, leave us a five-star review. If you like us, hit subscribe or follow as well. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. Don't forget your opportunity to win uh, a trip as my special guest at the premiere of Nefarious comes courtesy of my new book co-authored with my colleague daniel horowitz who will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour uh, rise of the fourth reich confronting covid fascism with a new nuremberg trial so this never happens again it's available right now according to amazon it's us mike pompeo and greta thunberg have the three best-selling political hardcover books in the country right now that is a very odd collection of people we should have a round table of <laughs> Three authors of those books. Just, me Mike, just me, Mike, and Greta sitting How around. How dare you? Yes. Over and over again. Um, but uh, if you want to help us uh, promote that book and its vitally important message, uh, use the hashtag Nuremberg2. Nuremberg, the number two, hashtag Nuremberg2. And the most clever and or impressive one at the end of this week, as selected by us, Daniel and I, uh, you will, courtesy of Post to Oppress, our publisher, you will join me for the premiere uh, later this spring of Nefarious. So hashtag Nuremberg2 on Facebook, Twitter, and now also TikTok and Instagram. Thank you, Facebook, with your ongoing asinine, wicked and evil censorship. That's why we expanded it to TikTok and Instagram as well, which probably has just as bad, if not worse, censorship than Facebook does, but we shall see. All right. Hashtag Nuremberg2. This Valentine's month, we think of hearts and those we love. The heart tells us that we're alive. You've seen us make so much headway the last few years, finally arguing what is life, not um, when is it okay to restrict abortion? When is it okay to restrict killing? No, when is life? And we all recognize that a heartbeat indicates when life begins. They have been following this strategy, or when life exists, I should say. They have been following this strategy at preborn long before the pro-life movement finally figured it out, or at least was willing to. And they know that when a woman hears the heartbeat of her baby, she is at least 80% less likely to follow through on killing her. And, and that's what they do. Provide those ultrasounds for moms to hear the heartbeat of their baby so they, their conscience is convicted. And that nurturing instinct, God-given nurturing instinct kicks in instead. 
but they also know that it is a it's a challenge, man. It, I, I know we th- we sometimes get portrayed as thinking on our side that uh, hey, we didn't kill the baby, the battle is over. Hey, take it from a kid that was born to a 15 year old mom that the battle ain't over at all. You, just, you won the biggest battle, but the war ain't over. All right, and and so they provide so much aftercare for moms, all of it free, even up to counseling, car seats, all of it free because of donations from people like us. If you want to make one of those donations, twenty eight dollars sponsors an ultrasound, one hundred and forty bucks will sponsor five ultrasounds, save up to five babies' lives. All right, dial pound two fifty on your phone and say the keyword baby. That's pound two fifty on your phone, keyword baby, or if this is simpler, go to preborn.com slash steve that's preborn.com slash steve all right daniel horowitz joins us at the bottom of the hour aaron let's continue on with buy seller hold we now go to charles martell who says our food supply is controlled by the same type of people as our vaccines i will buy in that i agree an inordinate amount of it is I wouldn't say that's true in totality, but it, but I would say it's it's still um, too inconveniently true. So I will I will buy. So much of our food is just poison. Yeah, buy. I mean, I did you ever hear of a peanut butter allergy growing up? Did no. you even know they existed? No, I I didn't either. Did you ever hear of celiac growing up? No, neither did I. No, never knew it existed. And I mean, I've you know. Peanut butter for us was a food group. We 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 got up watching Saturday morning cartoons. What was the what was the the Reese's peanut butter cup commercial when we were kids? Remember, it was the, the dude with the big thing of jar of peanut butter, and he would grab the yeah, chocolate yeah, bar yeah. that looked like That's the Hershey right. bar, basically. Peanut butter, my chocolate. Yeah, chocolate peanut butter, my chocolate. Yeah. Just take the Hershey bar and yeah. just dip it into the chocolate, like a scoop it in there and yeah. eat it. Okay, I mean we dude we took baths. We we put we used peanut butter for friggin' shampoo. I mean peanut butter was a food group for us as a kid. And now, you know, there is so much uh, food allergies and stuff that we just did not even know existed now, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Now, now. Or maybe didn't. Who knows? Now picture just asking questions, spitballing like that when your child is damaged. And the doctor in front of you tells you you're just a crazy person for asking those questions. Yes, these are all related. Of course they are. Mm. Next, we go to Chris B., who says, any penalty you think should be overlooked late in a game shouldn't be a penalty at all. Uh, I will buy this. This is... Well, I assume this is a reference to what happened in the yes, Super Bowl it, Sunday, right? This is why sports talk, sports radio, oh, this is why I say it should be banned. Every, you're ruining everything. Sports talk radio should be banned. It's like, it really, they can't, it was a fantastic football game. It was a fantastic football game. Like, I, and I had my complaints on Twitter during the game about instant replay, but like people, really, they're spending more time yep. talking about this play than the greatness of the play. It, it, honestly, it, it, we can't have nice things because we're even, even, you can't even make an idol about the right thing. Talk about the greatness of the players, all right? The, Honestly, I, 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 as an experiment, I just made sure I listened. They are, they continue to obsess over this. Parse it a hundred different ways, talking about if it was, if it wasn't. How should you look at it? Should you not look at it? Should you call? I'm, I'm. We're so. 
I could go all day about this, and I, I'm just getting mad thinking about it. It's this is this goes beyond sports. It goes to the point of what we will and will not live with. It's why I said a worse call, a terrible call, isn't the people were talking today about robot umpires. And they were talking about uh, how silly and ridiculous it is that some umpires have different plates, are known to have different strike zones. There's just one strike zone. And then one one of his plebes actually said that's the same, actually the same in every single sport. There's different guys who call holding, don't call holding, things like it. It's all the same. It's all the same. But the, the need... To turn that you can't live with a bad call. You you need to have the robots in here. So this is, so this is totally antiseptic. Meanwhile, over in Ohio, Dewine's like, yeah, well, I know there's fish and frogs dying in the water, but I think you're good. Like, it's all just so don't drink dumb. the water. You're, Steve, you're totally your yeah. tote's good. Just don't, just don't drink the not water. Not to mention that book right there. Really, they're they're connected. We, we don't know what it means to be human anymore. And we show it every time we get sports radio wrong, which is all the time. This was a game that was meant to lift us. The best, as Steve said, of human male meritocracy and competition. And it's hardly ever about that anymore. I, the idea that we have even... We've even made our idols suck. Like, I have no idea. And it's not, when I did sports talk radio, it's not the sports talk radio that I did. Okay. I know. I would, I have no idea why anyone would want to work all day long, listen to their wife. And, why, why would a guy want to, who's the typical sports talk radio listener? Work all day long, go home. I know I'm going to listen to my wife and kids drama when I get home. I just want to tune out. I want to live that in an alternative. I want to live in an alternative reality for a while about my favorite team and get fired up or get angry or get passionate or what have you. And just, you know, uh, almost, almost, I'll feel, almost feel like a man again. Okay, as opposed to a drone. Okay, you know, um, basically, sports talk radio was Fight Club as a as a platform. Okay, well, it was a place where men can almost go to feel like men again. Okay, let's talk about chicks and let's talk about uh, games. Okay, and and now it's just now you want to go. You want to talk about the drama on the sports talk radio too? So, don't you get enough of that at home? Don't you get enough of that at work? Just endless, ceaseless drama that circles the drain, that doesn't accomplish anything at all, doesn't do anything at all. I don't understand it. There is Critical Drinker put out a tweet in response to, um, you know, what people like Evangeline Lilly and others are doing with their hair right now and how they look, okay? And, I mean, if you remember Evangeline Lilly on Lost, Freckles, mm-hmm. man, smoke show, Okay. And, and, and he's just, and, his, his, and, and then he compared it to a graphic from the 60s and 70s, or from the 50s and 60s, of what the women of Hammer, of Hammer Films, that was the first great, like, horror film studio, was Hammer Films, and that was Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, and they did, the, they remade all the Dracula and Frankenstein, right? And so they had, like, all these voluptuous women in the 50s and 60s, and he, just com- he had put up a graphic of what the women look like in Hammer Films compared to what we are calling, you know, hot and everything, and he's like, and I, I, I mean, I don't think he's, him and I are in this area probably coming from a little bit different of a worldview, but I'm a guy, I get what he's saying. Mm-hmm. When, I mean, that's where I would say we, we, we have made even our sin suck. Like, I don't even know why you'd even be attracted to sin 
because we've even made that not alluring anymore. We, you, you don't know, maybe I'm not saying it right, but it just, it just feels like we have removed the allure and the temptation from everything, but we didn't do it in order to produce a whole, a, a society of more holiness. We did it to replace it with nothing to replace it with nihilism. We did it to, you know, where I don't know who's more well endowed in the men's locker room, the guy or the girl. Okay. I mean, it, it's, you know, we, we went, we went from guys measuring each other in the locker room for decades to chicks just walk in with erections now. Okay. I mean, just, we've, we are literally ruining everything. Even our sins aren't even tempting anymore. They're just, it's just nihilism incarnate constantly, systemically. Uh, allow me to quote uh, a guy you know named Nefarious. You're succeeding beyond our wildest expectations. <laughs> yes. Yep. Sometimes you amaze even us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Moving on, what bandit has this? A majority of Americans had already decided on March 16th, 2020, that they would take a COVID jab no matter what ones, uh, what, no matter what, oh. once it became available. Do you have a day show, bro? I mean, does, do you have a magical power of vaccines, bro? Of course they did. Of course they did. I will buy that that's true, but I, but there was, there was serious hesitancy in the country when these things rolled out. Because of the, how fast they rolled out. That see that is what per, that's say, that is what something. What percentage that, of the uh, nation took that first jab? Uh, Eighty-five. Eighty-five yeah, percent of American adults took at least one dose. I know what you mean, but most but that, that's but, not serious but, but a lot of that was also imposed coercively by the state. Well, we just saw it on Aaron's montage. I. I I know it it was coerced, and heck, I, I've seen it firsthand, even in my own family, a, a, a degree of coercion that we had to deal with. But mo what most people, uh, the poker guy, well, I wanted to go want, play yeah. world poker, so I took it. I mean, yeah, that's what most they folded immediately. Most people, are like, I guess, I got no choice. I mean, I got a call in twenty one from a friend of mine who has been instrumental in my career, and. Um, he was looking for help, wanted to know how I, if I could connect him with people like Peter McCullough. Healthy guy, wealthy guy, successful. Uh, took the jab, and I mean, his resting heart rate, man, he couldn't get it under 100 no matter what he did. And I just asked him a simple question, what do you think it was? You took it, didn't you? He said, yeah. It was the same thing. He wanted to play in a World Series of Poker event. Straight up, same same thing. They wouldn't let me in without it, you know? Next, we go to OG Thor. Actually, we already talked about that. It's about uh, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, JC Medici says, Dan Campbell is the best Lions coach since Wayne Fontes. Is that how you Fonts. say it? Fonts. Fonts. Wait, did I just say that out loud? <laughs> well, first of all, know. this is not like it's a long and distinguished list. No, okay. I, I mean, Wayne Fonts is the most, I think he's the winningest coach in Lions history, and I think he has a losing record <laughs> career-wise. Okay. <laughs> Don't so, even go on with. I love that stat so much. That is. Yeah, I. I, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty ignominious list here, folks. Now, it wasn't always that way. I mean, go back to people like Joe Schmidt and others pre-Super Bowl era. The Lions are one of the best franchises in the NFL. Well, for, what about Bobby Ross? For decades. It, isn't that the argument, probably? Well, in terms of resume, he would be. He only lasted a couple of years with the Lions. 
He was pretty good. But his his total resume, sure. You're talking about one of the few coaches in the history of football that coached a team to a national championship in college and a Super Bowl. Now, they didn't win it, but they got him there. I think Barry Switzer's the only coach that has won the Super Bowl and a national championship in college. It's a it's a short list of coaches who have been able to get to the to the mountaintop in both uh, mm-hmm. of those arenas and Bobby Ross is on it. He just didn't he just didn't last long as the Lions coach. But but if you looked at his overall resume, then yeah, it would be him sure I will say this about and I'm going to say this about Dan Campbell I think he's the first one we've hired that has a plan and, and I mean like in my lifetime I mean we, when we moved to Michigan the weekend before Thanksgiving in 1983 I was 10 years old I just you know I was already a massive baseball fan and I had just completely fallen in love with football while growing up in Florida because I mean, it would get so hot even in the fall. And you were like, what am I going to do indoors? And I just got, I fell in love watching the NFL and watching football. And uh, I'm, I, we moved there, and the first weekend we're there is Michigan and Ohio State are playing. And I mean, I just loved the winged helmet. I loved the fight song. And I mean, I was in, you know. And, um, and, and Billy Sims was leading the Lions to the division championship. And I'm like... I remember one of the first games I watched when, after we moved there was a Monday night game against the Vikings, I think it was. And Billy Sims just ran over, around, and through him. And I, I mean, I don't know any of this history. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, I'm 10 years old. I move here. They win the, they're in the playoffs. I had no idea what I was getting myself into for the next 40 years. Forever. Yes. Okay. That all being said, in the time I've been a fan since then, he is the first coach we've had, Dan is, that I think has an actual plan. Like Wayne... Here was the plan. Guys, we drafted Barry Sanders. There was no other plan, really. Okay. There's actually a plan here. And I think that that Dan also is self-aware about what he's up against historically and culturally. Now, whether he can pull this thing off, we shall see. But I think that he at least is the first coach I have seen that has enough self-awareness to know what he's dealing with and has an actual plan to deal with it. And then we'll just see if it's the right one. And you know what I guarantee Dan Campbell isn't doing three or four days after the Super Bowl? Guys, was it a hold or wasn't it? Should he have yeah, called I know. a penalty? I mean, Listen, really. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't think, I didn't think it was a good call, by the way. I, you could call that on literally every man coverage route in That's the NFL. That's why I thought okay? it was a bad call. That being said, James Bradbury himself came out after the game and said, yeah, I, got, I was holding it. And frankly, I was kind of hoping they wouldn't call yeah. it given where it was at in the game and it blew up on me. Props, dude, J- props to James Bradbury yeah. for being what we used to call a man. Yeah. Okay. And holding it. Hey, it was me. It was me. Accountability on me. So I, I, I don't know why people are calling sports talk radio stations in Des Moines, Schenectady, okay, Kankakee, and apparently are, are more incensed about the call than the guy who actually had the call against him. Because they all think... And they, it admitted it th- that he thought it was a good call. This, they keep, think the game's about them. There was somebody actually pointed out, people are just mad because they took a last second drive away from... Uh, and it just became that thing at the end where they were running out of bounds to run out the clock. Yeah, that's not the best look of football. But, you know, it, it, I it just... This is it. You're not out there on the field. The fans really are becoming so damn narcissistic about themselves. They're overly emotional. Again, this is soap opera for men. That's the problem. Next, we go to Rowdy Introvert, who says the level of depravity scale, I think, for the uh, bleep, Lord Nefarious montage, 
The level of depravity scale needs to be adjusted for inflation as 10 just doesn't have the same purchasing power it did a few months ago. Uh, it's a... As everybody from Shannon Joy to us on the... Yeah, this this is a, a sliding scale every week. It has demands placed on it based on our own emotional... Speaking of emotional well-being, it's like, yeah, sometimes we say that there's no... That, that there's no scale known to man that can contain that evil and we just make stuff up so yeah of course you're right agreed yeah timmy p says no matter who quarterbacks the raiders in 2023 the team that gets Derek carr will actually have more wins i agree uh particularly because i think Derek carr likely ends up um new york new york or new orleans and i think that those are teams whose rosters um are competitive in a lot of other places with a with a competent to good quarterback you know i'd put Derek carr in that um you know in that 12 to 20 range of quarterbacks you know i'd put jared goff in there he made the pro bowl this year but but those are quarterbacks that if the team around them is good you can be very good with them and maybe get to a super bowl i don't know if you can win it or not but you can be they, they don't necessarily lift a franchise but they take a franchise that is ascending and you can win with them they're good to they're competent to good to very good on a given day yeah for sure okay my guess is, my guess is Derek Carr get, ends up in New Orleans or New York, and Aaron Rodgers is going to end up either retiring or Vegas. That's what I'm going to hmm. guess. Matthew Purcell says the U.S. will have boots on the ground in Ukraine by the end of the year. Sell. 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 And and, and I. That see that 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 all hell would break loose on the right if that were to happen. And here's the thing. Here's why I'm going to sell. I have no, I have no trust in the regime. I don't have any real trust of uh, Republicans in Congress. But we're going to be in the midst of a presidential race at that period of time. And at least one of the two clear front runners for the Republican nomination, that would be Donald Trump, is going to be would lose his and 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 we would all be like egging him onto here on this show would lose his mind and so would his following over that now maybe Ron DeSantis would too that's the thing we don't really know like anybody who's a governor that runs for president those views have to get fleshed out right it's it was different for Reagan when he ran for president as a former governor of California remember because before Reagan was a governor companies like GE and was it Pepsi was the other one I want to say that they that he was a paid spokesman for these companies. He went around the country, you know, in the early years of the of the TV era, speaking out against communism and socialism. So I mean, his his comprehensive views, both domestically and globally, uh, were very well known by the time he was a California governor. Everybody, you knew more about Ronald Reagan's foreign policy than you did about what kind of governor he would be when he got elected there, and I think in '68. DeSantis will be different. He'll have to answer these kinds of questions. I, I'm going to assume he'll have the right answers because he'll get absolutely friggin' nuked by Trump if he has the wrong ones. Okay? But, but I think we all know right now for sure at least one of those two frontrunners, Donald Trump, would massively rally millions of Americans against something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And that would force a lot of Republicans who would prefer to maybe have this be the outcome 
but then they start seeing their political futures flash in front of their eyes and, you know, uh, may they, they have to kind of reconsider the order of things. So given mm. that political dynamic, I'm going to sell. You'd have to, the questions would become a lot brighter about what exactly is so evil about Russia and what exactly is so chaste and noble about Ukraine and oh yeah what there was Ukrainian uh, you know this is this name has come up with Donald Trump um, and uh, uh, getting impeached you know can we get to the bottom of what exactly is going on there none of which anybody wants to do they want the both sides to just serve a narrative this is ultimately a money laundering operation on the american end of things um and there's uh, at at the very least and then there's other possible Mm -hmm. very nefarious things uh going on and that are akin to a wuhan lab kind of stuff so they don't want you to know about any of that boots on the ground is going to make it much more likely that you should say um come again yeah Next, we go to Calvin McRae, who says Nefarious does $20 million opening weekend or by week two for sure. I have to sell on that. I just think that's a, I mean, $20 million is what Unplanned made domestic total. We would be tickled pink if we did that. If that was like our total theatrical run, we would be tickled pink at that. I can't even contemplate doing something like that on opening weekend. I have to sell. I, I, can't, I, I say, can't even contemplate. You know that I, how much I believe uh, in this film's ability um, to just win on that metric, to be in the top ten, ultimately uh, nationwide for the year. But you, this, when you say week two, that hedge, I'll, I'm listening to you. But that week one, it's going to take that sort of like some people saw it and like, oh, and the word yeah. of mouth has got to build. That's a great yeah. point. See, we could have. 2000 plus theaters if we wanted we are we're we are we are not probably going to do that now we might change our minds as we get closer to we could look at tracking Mm -hmm. and we might change our minds and say okay we think we can justify that what we don't want to do is have 3000 theaters to start and then we have a we have would still for a film of our magnitude a good open but given the magnitude mm-hmm. of the distribution is underwhelming and, and 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 it hurts our momentum going forward we're better off starting more modestly yes. and then overperforming that standard and then adding more as you said later on okay here when you see the film and you can already see watching the trailer and you can see looking at the poster all of us that were involved in the creative team that took this film from, from a whiteboard in Burbank, California, to the movie that now you will see here soon on April the 14th, um, are all the same people that, that are doing all the marketing and everything else. Okay, It's all the same group of us that are doing all this. So you can rest assured that if you're impressed by the craftsmanship we showed you yesterday... That's, that's, that's a minimum of what you will see when you actually see the film. The film is a $100 million film. I say this as someone who is an aficionado of this genre and knows it very well. It absolutely is. We don't have a $100 million marketing budget. Okay? So, I mean, this, this, for, for the film to do that and what you're suggesting in there, it's, it is beyond our capabilities to make that happen. Right? The film is a little bit like this show. Okay? We, you know, our show's grown a lot. We're still, a lot of people will tell you, why isn't more people heard about your show? We run into that all the time, right? Okay. So the movie sells itself. The the issue is whom can we get in front of the movie to sell it to? That's the issue. Okay. And so that's why we're going to need viral help from people like you in the audience. We're going to need, you know, a lot of the connections and relationships I have in our industry and, 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 you know, things of that nature. 
because we're going to have a marketing budget in the millions, guys. But it, but it will. It, this is it, this is the most expensive part of movie making. When you when you hear Man of Steel made a half a billion at the box office, on a and it had a two hundred and fifty million dollar production budget, and Warner Brothers considered it a failure. Like, what are you talking about? It it made twice its production budget. Well, they also spent another half a billion promoting it. Okay. And so when you throw in the, the promotion budget, which is separate from the production budget, it wasn't as great of a movie as it is. It wasn't that much of a moneymaker for them. That's what they're talking about. And so we're going to have a multi-million dollar marketing budget, but, but it needs to be in the tens of millions to typically produce a hundred million dollar movie. So that's why we're going to need, frankly, favors, the kindness of strangers, um, viral grassroots help, and... Uh, more acts of God like it took to even get this movie to this point to hit that kind of a number. Because metrics-wise, we don't have the capability on our own to produce that. Next, there will be a sudden unexplained blackout on April 14th. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Or my hazards will go off again without pushing a button, just driving to the office. Okay. I could see it. I mean, we've been in this building since 2015, Aaron. How many times has a blackout threatened to stop us from holding the show? It only really stopped us during the the derecho, that crazy. That wasn't involving a one, an, an, yeah, a, yes, yeah, a, a once a three three century storm. I'm sure it's happened before. I can't. I mean, it's been it, when we first moved in here. We didn't have enough power in this room, so we lost power all the time. Then, uh, you know, if I press one button over here, that uh, overloaded the, the circuit. But uh, yeah, never never an outage like that. Um, one more. One more uh, that we're going to tease. I don't want you, you. I don't want your reactions yet. Okay. This is from David Geiger. We'll get your reactions in the overtime. The winners and losers of all major sporting events are fixed, as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans three ten. <laughs> we'll reset that in the overtime. I think there's some things so to gonna, say. In other words, we're going to wind up Todd in the overtime, right? We're going to wind him up. Speaking of wound up. Daniel Horowitz is next. Folks, you are not going to believe this. I mean, you could not make this up. We just, our final submission for buy, sell, or hold. After we had a power outage here yesterday, has not happened to us in the seven years we've been in this studio, except one day when we had arguably the worst storm in Iowa history, the derecho. And we got it yesterday when we launched marketing for Nefarious. So guys, send us a tweet. For, that's the final buy, sell, or hold. Your next power outage will be on April 14th, when, when courtesy of Nefarious, when the movie comes out, right? Mm-hmm. We go to break. What happened as soon as we went to break? Everything goes out. Power went out again. Everything went out again. I'm not, you cannot make this up. That's why we had no music when we came back. We came back cold. We weren't sure that we were going to be able to come back live. We thought we were going to have to maybe just add this to the on demand later. We found out 30 seconds ago. Yeah. It just went out again. Probably just a coincidence though, right? Right. You need the Catholic to make a call and get an exorcist? Uh, we, might, we might need to do that. Yeah. You got a connection over there at the di- archdiocese maybe that can maybe hook us up with one of those. I don't know if in this archdiocese. But, uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, this is a great time, by the way, to tell you 
uh, about Fearless Army and Roll Call. It is an all-day event to encourage men to put on the full armor of God, take a stand against the evil forces threatening to destroy American culture. It's an event inspired by our colleague and our friend, Jason Whitlock. At this conference, you're going to hear inspiring speeches from Jason, several special guests that will inspire you to be a better husband, father, and witness. Roll Call will inspire, uplift, and entertain. You can join hundreds of like-minded men in Nashville on April 15th for this important conference. Tickets are likely to sell out, so make sure to secure yours today by going to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. That is fearlessarmyrollcall.com to reserve your spot today. Let's bring in the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation himself, the one and only Daniel Horowitz. It is good to see you, my friend. How are you? We're doing all right in the Fourth Reich. It's not so bad after all, Steve. We're still alive. You might want to reconsider. Anybody ever comes to you and says, hey, want to make a movie about a demonic takeover of the country? Might want to consider what the consequences of uh, venturing into that might be in terms of uh, hassles and trolls and things of that nature. But let's get to the book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial. So this never happens again. I, I, we are starting to get reaction from people uh, that are starting to dig into the book, starting to listen to your audio presentation, read the words that you and I wrote in the book. What has stood out to you so far? Sure. I mean, Steve, look, we're we're uh, I was just looking, we're just getting comments on Amazon, you know, from people uh, looking at this. And, you know, what everyone talks about is the degree of the deep dive, but also the darkness, the darkness. They kind of know what's going on, but they it, it, it's not palpable. And and that is what the Fourth Reich is. That's what we're trying to put out. It's not like you have the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda where you have like millions of severed bodies on the streets. You, you don't see that. But the result is like that, right? I mean, at the end of the day, wait a minute. We got from point A to point B. Okay, 10 to 15 million people died in the world from the virus they created, the denial of treatment, the put it, foisting of Rendezvous and the other stuff on us, mm-hmm. and then the clot shots, but it's subtle. It's very subtle. It's obvious, but it's subtle. Hey, Steve, we're pulling the plug on you. No ivermectin for you. Oh, but you want Remdesivir? It's standard of care, Paxlovid, 30 contraindications. You don't even need a prescription. Here you go. See, these things, they're subtle, but they're genocidal. That's what the Fourth Reich is. Um, and, and, you know, I noted today when when the book came out, the Ohio Chernobyl was really the perfect story. Very subtle. Few people know about it. On the surface, it doesn't look like it was that wrong of a call. But then it's like, yeah, you know, a mushroom plume of hydrochloric acid that went all the way to Detroit, uh, only evacuate one mile to begin with. And then um, even within that one mile, it could co- come back immediately. Wait, what? What just happened? Huh? It's the subtlety. But that's the problem, Steve. People aren't activated. They do it in a way that you become used to it. And then you have to realize, like, I didn't even realize so much of what we were saying was that earth shattering. But this is the biggest problem we have. We haven't rectified even the easier things we call for at the end of the trial in the book, much less the the meat and potatoes of restoring the Nuremberg Code, um, ending all 
uh, liens that the government could have on our bodies, medically, biomedical, security, tyranny, uh, surveillance, uh, indemnity of liability, all this stuff. I mean, you know, I've been working the last couple of weeks on the book, not just to sell the book, but to sell the the outcomes. And we're struggling in the reddest of states mm -hmm. because we're already on the fourth legislative session, if you count the one that was interrupted in 2020 of this thing. And Steve, it's still like it never happened. It's like it never happened. It's still happening. Hey, uh, you know, this you stroke, blood clots. Oh, it's part of the child immunization schedule. Just came out. Big, biggest story of the week last week. No one knows about it. They did it very quietly. That, my friends, is the Fourth Reich. I was on with Glenn Beck uh, this morning talking about our book, and the question of critical mass was asked. You know, we have one of the largest voices in our industry and in our movement, Mark Levin, telling his audience here in the last week that he thinks he is jab injured. It's caused him to miss time from the show. He thinks it goes his, uh, back to uh, taking of the last booster. Um, we all recall the DeMar Hamlin situation on Monday Night Football, right? And so I think there has been this notion of, can it be someone that has such gravitas like a Mark um, or is on such a, a wild, wildly large global stage like DeMar Hamlin on Monday Night Football? What, is it a person? Is it a particular stage where this thing gets to critical mass and finally we're like, okay, there's got to be some justice here. And the point I made to Glenn, Dan, is that this is a unique circumstance where 85% of American adults took at least one dose of this gene juice. And I, I don't really think in this case, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, I, I really don't think in this case it's, it's necessarily the political class hurting us. I mean, a lot, you and I learned things we didn't know from Ron Johnson's subcommittee meetings, hearings the last couple of years, okay? I think the people... A lot of people don't want to confront that they could be time bombs, that they are, they're the next collapsed suddenly, the next died suddenly. I don't even want to contemplate that, okay? And, and I don't, you know, I, so let's just move on. Let's just live my life. The time that I would spend going, kvetching about this, lamenting it, is, is, it just adds more wear and tear on my life, you know? And so can we just move on and, and act like it never happened and this, these last three years never occurred? That I actually think that is the bigger challenge. We're, we're, th th there was a layer of the German society that engaged in the Holocaust, Similar to what we saw here in the United States, a layer of elite society engaged in slavery. Everybody else that couldn't afford to be in on it just looked the other way. But since they weren't personally invested in it, when the time came for a reckoning of those two horrors, they weren't immediately thinking that they were indicted in the process. Here, a lot of our countrymen, including our colleagues, Dan... Are, are, are the, they're, they're the enablers of this. They took it for various reasons. And so I think it's harder to get the, those people to stand up and say, what the hell did they do to me? Until they're confronted with what the hell they did to them. So I, I think that, first of all, that's a big part of the book where it's at the elite level, but then it trickles down into society. You deserve to die. You deserve like the hatred of people that wouldn't wear a mask and things like that. But I'm going to give a little bit of an alternative view that I, I would have agreed with you last year, but I have a different take now. I think they enabled this. The people definitely enabled this because had they not gone along with this from day one, it wouldn't have gotten off the ground. Mm -hmm. Once they did, now it's immutably in the hands of the political class. And now we're at an interesting juncture. So if you noticed you have 
it, it takes a certain amount of time to break out of the mass psychosis formation of each tranche of this. So it's not that the facts change. It was obviously utterly insane. Uh, you, you don't walk outside or you walk into Home Depot, but you can't go here. And everyone knew it was stupid, but they went along with it anyway until finally they didn't. And it was like, yeah, this is stupid. But then the the mass thing stubbornly, stubbornly stayed along. Uh, they have the rituals and they you know, take it off when they're about to eat, but put it on. Like you, you can't think that's normal until finally people, I mean, again, except for the crazies, people do laugh out of it now. But then it came to the shots. And for two years, we've been saying, look, the, the micro data, macro data, it doesn't work. The more you inject, the more you infect, how could you not, whatever. And I do believe we've reached critical mass. I, I was frustrated until a few months ago, but I think because of the anecdotes you mentioned, almost nobody is got the new boosters, even seniors. Mm -hmm. It's slow to a trickle. They're not getting it. People are done with it. Polling data shows this. Too many people, the cumulative effect, it's almost like it's lifted. And all the people that are like, yeah, that's stupid to wear a mask. It's like, yeah, I know. I know someone who died. Yeah, you know, I don't feel right since I got it. This is happening everywhere. The Rasmussen poll shows that just as much among Democrats as Republicans. But now I would argue our problem is in the political class, although the people allowed it to get there, that they don't respond to the data. So it's like everyone knows it doesn't work and it's ineffective, yet we can't even get rid of the mandates fully in red states, much less take it off the market. So you could have where the policies don't reflect where everyone agrees the reality is because there's no push to fight it. No one's getting new shots. Um, and I think people want to be done with it. And just the opposite, I think people think they are done with it. That's part of what we're fighting. They don't see this picture that we put together that it's a continuity of events. It's not just, oh, this happened, then this happened. Oh, this is dumb. We shouldn't have done it. It was premeditated. It was done. It was all together. And they're coming out with the RSV shots. They're coming out with all this stuff. And you better get in there to stop it. Whenever I raise awareness to, to this legislation, people do respond to it. Um, the fact is we have the Fox News phony conservative movement that's focused on the wrong issue at the wrong time in the wrong way. And they don't capture that potential energy and turn it kinetic. This has always been the problem. I would argue, Steve, we did win. I would argue at this point, the majority of the people do agree with us. They might not realize exactly the malfeasance and exactly the degree of, of death and injury, but they realize it. But what are you going to do about it? Hmm. What are you going to do about it? That That's what we add to the book at the end, in addition to demonstrating what we've gone through. Final thing, right now, according to Amazon, which is where about 83% of all books in America are sold every day. The top three best-selling nonfiction hardcover political books in the country are authored by former Secretary of State and CIA Director Mike Pompeo, Greta Thunberg, and you and I. Your thoughts on that triumvirate? So, Steve, one thing I think that's a testament to our audiences to my knowledge, neither of us have gone on a single Fox show. Right. Um, you know, you just did Glenn Beck, but this was before Glenn. Glenn's our big name. Uh, we've really done this very much in-house. 
And for us to be on the same playing field as the guy who probably has the emails of everyone, every Republican in America, and then Greta Thunberg, I mean, you can't get more international money and organization right. behind that movement. I mean, that thing is a killer. We have nothing, nothing behind us. I think that's an amazing testament to our movement. And if our people would be harnessed and activated, it could be that that very small minority that could be like the Sons of Liberty and make a huge difference on this issue and other issues, because uh, it's it's truly, truly astounding. Um, and, and, and then you could look at it the other way around. Absent the Fox circle, I can't imagine a boring memoir of a neocon would really be at the top of the list. So, again, it just shows that I would argue, Steve, a lot of it is on the elite front, that we don't have elite leadership to harness that potential. And the biggest thing about the timing of this book is that on the one hand, I do believe people think it's dumber than ever. And we have an opportunity to slam in our policy changes now. But you wait for this to go on until the next iteration. People forget about it. They're onto the Chinese balloons and whatever else. Yeah. And they just don't see it happening. I don't have to wear a mask now. I don't have to get a shot now. So whatever. Life's normal. Everything's open. Done. And they don't understand where this came from, what actually happened, and, and where it's headed. And that's why it's so important, Nuremberg, to, to push for – a, a reaffirmation of the Nuremberg Code with a Nuremberg trial and all the accoutrements that come along with that politically and legally so that this never happens. But things like the Ohio Chernobyl and whatever else they're planning on doing, what we've learned is they have the motive, they have the means, and there's nothing stopping them. And we need to really internalize that, even though it's very subtle. Great stuff, my friend. Congratulations. Um, it was a heavy lift. And I think it's the most important book I'll ever be a part of, certainly that I have been a part of up until this point. And, um, of course, your part in, in this book is a big reason why. So congratulations and uh, thank you for making this a reality. Likewise. And we're looking forward to the movie coming out on my birthday. So there's something good that happened on April 14th. The Titanic sunk. Lincoln got shot. I was looking at the, tre the trend line. It would happen on April 14th. Like, I'm screwed. Well, that's when Daniel Horowitz was born. So maybe something good did happen that day. Good to see you, brother. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Same year. Don't forget, hashtag Nuremberg2 on Twitter, Facebook, now Instagram, and TikTok as well. Use hashtag Nuremberg2. Help us promote... Rise of the Fourth Reich, the most impressive, clever way uh, that uh, you have chosen to help us promote Rise of the Fourth Reich via hashtag Nuremberg2. We'll choose that at the end of this week, and Post Hill Press, our publisher, will pay for you to be my special guest at the premiere later this spring of Nefarious. All right, gentlemen, your thoughts on the conversation Daniel and I just had. I'm happy for Daniel, personally, because as you said, you had to... And, and then he admitted later on, you had to really do a hard sell on him to get him to be involved. He just thought this would all be outdated by the time we could get the book out. Yeah. 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 But, well, obviously, this, this, which goes to the point at the end that this, this will never be undated, outdated if we don't do something about this, if we don't demand justice. Aaron? Agreed. And... Uh... Sorry, I'm in the dark. I haven't had time to turn turn the uh, lights back. I kind of like this though. Yeah, the noir look. Um, yeah, no doubt, Aaron Noir. On, put on some Barry White. There you yes. go. Yeah, there you go. Um, this book is kind of like 
kind of like the last attempt before you kick the kick the dust from your sandals and move on. If you read this book, if this book exists, and if it gets into the hands and the minds of people who are empowered to do it, and, and really all of us are to some degree, and we still don't do anything, we still don't do anything to hold the people responsible accountable, maybe kicking the dust from your sandals time. Hmm. That'll do it. Uh, for us, we'll stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. Back at it again tomorrow, hopefully with power. Noon <laughs> to 2 Eastern here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.